Manu Tabla. Dejan Buchanan has floated out to the left-hand side. 1v1, puts it on frame, and Canada has scored! Dejan Buchanan! Welcome back. Good Saturday afternoon. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690, and that's one of Tejan Buchanan's two goals from yesterday's 2 nothing win over El Salvador, Canada. Getting their U23 squad getting off on the right foot when it comes to Olympic qualifying uh, on the men's side. Uh, again, it's a big 2 nothing win there. And you heard Balu Tabla of CF Montreal uh, helped set that goal up. And Tabla actually had a golden opportunity uh, right across. Ball comes right across the six-yard box. I think that was the 50th or 51st minute. And he actually gets a shot on goal. The rebound goes off his legs and it goes out of play. But uh, some up and down moments for Balu Tabla, but overall, a pretty strong game. Talk about that. NCF Montreal, we go to our good friend, Paul Vance. He's the managing editor of MountRoyalSoccer.com. Paul, how are you? I'm very good, Joey. All the better for for last night. Um, How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And uh, yeah, I know you and I were messaging and I didn't get to pay as close attention as I wanted to to that game because I was working the Canadians game last night, Uh, but uh, planning on watching it this afternoon. Uh, and so really excited about where Canada's heading. But uh, in terms of the way Canada looked overall, uh, were you pleasantly surprised, impressed? Was there? Do you think they have another gear that they can hit? What do you think? I don't know if it's another gear. Um, I hope so, because generally coming into a tournament like that, teams tend to get a little bit better as it, as it progresses. Um, the thing that surprised me last night was how well that the team appeared to gel, because when you consider... Um, the the little time that Mauro Biello has had these guys together, um, that was one of the concerns I had. I mean, when you consider the altitude that they were facing, the heat, um, the fact that they can't possibly be much fit and they were playing against this side full of players who've been playing five to six months of, of regular league football, um, I thought the Canadian performance was was excellent. It was very professional, and um, it was probably all that we could have hoped for and more. Now that said, El Salvador um, were were not impressive, but the Canadians certainly did everything that could have been asked for them. It was a it was a very good performance and a great start to the tournament. All right, you mentioned uh, Mauro Biello. He's the head coach of that squad. His assistant is Jason DiTullio on that team. And uh, it was just announced this morning, CF Montreal uh, making it official that Jason DiTullio will serve as a first-team head coach this year under Wilfred Nancy. We'll, I'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I just I want to stick with, uh, with Team Canada for a bit. Uh, James Pantemis was able to keep the clean sheet. I don't know how much he'll, p- he'll play for Montreal this year. He did get a bit of a run last year. But uh, what did you think of Pantemis overall? I think James was was absolutely sound in, in everything he did last night. Um, he probably didn't have an awful lot to do. He made one particularly good save with his with his left foot actually, which um, which kept uh, the Canadians two nil in front. Um, but everything else he dealt with, he he was he was comfortable and he was competent. His handling was good. Um, he, he yeah, he looked good, you know, but. Um, I still would like to see him a little bit more in, in MLS play before I completely make my mind up about James. Um, and I hope he does get some opportunities this season because there's definitely potential there. No, there definitely is. We're talking to Paul Vance. He's the manage, managing editor of MountRoyalSoccer.com, uh, breaking down the uh, Canadian and Montreal soccer scenes. Um, 
can you like have you figured out Balutabla? Because I I still haven't. I'm not sure. Uh, they you know, look. They've brought in a lot of talent. Uh, the CF Montreal has, but he had a good showing. I thought for the most part yesterday. But what are your expectations for this guy the rest of the way in this tournament? And and what do you think we'll see from him this year in MLS play? As regards what we're going to see from him this year in MLS play, I'm, I'm kind of that's a difficult question because we all know his history, and uh, to come out and forecast something um, would probably be foolish. Um, but um, what, what I would say is, yes, he performed well, and, and I think um, I think Mauro Biello has has shown a lot of faith in him, not only in selecting him for this squad, but putting his trust in him to to, to start the game. Uh, mm-hmm last night and um, Morrow basically said they had a plan for Tabla that he would only play so many minutes in the game and, and I guess that that played out. He was substituted after, well, I think it was just before the hour mark. Um, but as you say, not, not before he had a great chance, which he probably should have scored with, but you know what? Overall it was a it was a decent um, it was a decent performance. But and he did supply the pass for the, the, the first goal for Buchanan as well. But you know, yeah. this is a player who not all that long ago was being talked about in the same breath by many people as Alfonso Davies. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I never saw the two at the same level, but certainly I, I believe that Tabla has grossly underachieved and with the opportunities that he'd been provided, moved to Barcelona and all that kind of stuff. With his undoubted talent, he should now be an established member of the Canadian senior squad. And in fact, you would have expected him to be a mainstay in the Canadian uh, senior squad for for several years. So really, it's time for the partying to stop and it's time for him to get down to the serious business of playing football. You know, I think he owes Canada a favour. He owes Montreal a favour and he owes himself a favour because there's a bundle of talent there bursting to get out. Yeah, and look, he's, he's 21 years old. So he's still quote unquote young ish, but at a certain point you go from being a young player with talent to being, you know, what you are. And so look, I think on a squad like Montreal where there's no uh, superstar player, there's there's gonna be an opportunity for him to to make a difference this year, but at the same time, there's also a lot of bodies and, and there's there's some depth. Uh, at those wing spots. So if you don't hit the ground running coming out, you know, whenever you get back to CF Montreal, there's a chance you could get buried deep down the depth chart again. Agree. It, it's probably a, the, the hardest time to push your way in the team at the moment at, at, at Montreal because um, because of that that strength and depth that we, that we now appear to have. And, um, you know, He's going to have to work hard to, to get into the team. And once he gets into the team, he's going to have to work very, very hard to, to stay there. Now, can he do that? Well, it remains to be seen. He's Paul Vance from MountRoyalSoccer.com joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. All right, uh, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the club making it official, CF Montreal did this morning. Uh, Jason DiTulio is going from coaching the team's U23 team uh, to becoming an assistant coach. It's his second time as an assistant coach in the organization. Of course, he and Nancy were both on the same staff uh, between 20 and 15 and 2017 uh, with Mauro Biello as the head coach. To me, it's a natural fit. And the last couple of times that they've hired a coach, they've gone with uh, bigger names or guys with uh, thicker and longer resumes. But sometimes, Paul, I, I just I feel like you need guys that have come through the club uh, and are, that are going to 
work tirelessly and put the club before everything else and even before themselves. And I think that's what they have in Detulio, and I think that's kind of what they have in Nancy too. I don't know if it works out or not, but what are your overall impressions on uh, on what they've done with the staff here today? Yeah, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a change of direction, but you know it'll be interesting to watch it. It'll be interesting to observe what what happens with guys who have actually um, got the fabric of the club well woven inside them, and and um, they certainly know the club like the back of their hand. And and um, I, I would suggest that the club's very very deeply in each of their hearts as well. So um, from a completely commit committed sort of perspective i mean you've got that um there's no no doubt about that and you know these guys have worked with some of the other coaches who have come in they've worked with a, an array of coaches now so they've probably hopefully learned and, and taken the best bits of each and um you know I, it, it's been interesting to um observe um wilfred nancy in 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 pre-season i think there was some trepidation in some quarters around Will's, uh, well, maybe not so much his ability, but his qualifications or perhaps more accurately his, his the presence he has to, to do the job because, you know, I, I guess I was one of the doubters. Um, with, with Wilfred, you, he was rarely ever exposed to the media before, yeah. and, you know, under the success of coaches that he worked under. So so you kind of wonder in that, that type of situation. But what I've watched uh, this week, he's, he's very hands-on. He's confident. He appears confident in, in dealing with one to ones as well as he does with with talking to the group as a as a as a whole group, if you like. Um, the body language is good. There's a good lively vibe about training. There seems to be a lot of respect towards him too. Um, and as regards um, De Tullio, uh, you know, I, I would expect that Wilfred has had a big input to that decision, and and it's very very important that that he surrounds himself with people that he knows well and trusts. So. You know, I, I would say it's probably a good uh, it's a good appointment. And so you mentioned you went to training a few times this week, and it, I guess it's tough to get a gauge on the squad just because there are so many players missing, so many players on international duty. We talked about the Canadians uh, like Tabla, Pantemis, Broguiard, Basson, uh, guys that are with the Canadian U23s. Uh, there's I saw where uh, – Bjorn Johnson got a call up to Norway, and so did Mustafa Kiza. He's off on international duty as well. Georgi Mihalovic hasn't been around. There's a couple guys who are just getting out of quarantine. So what does the group look like with so many guys missing? Like, what does it look like on the pitch? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of academy players there too, which is kind of refreshing also. I mean, the, the likes of the, the Matt Catavolos, the, the Sean Rays, the Jean Anil I see the Keyshawn Ferdinand, who's not gone off to um, Atletico Ottawa just yet on loan. That doesn't happen until the end of the month. Um, one player actually who stood out for me and one player from the, the academy that caught my eye, uh, he's, he's actually now part of the first team squad actually, but last year he was an academy player as Rita Zuhir. He looked very, yeah. very good. Some of the touches and some of the movement in, in training. And he also looks to have the physical attributes required to, to, to make it as a senior player as well. But they've filled in a lot, uh, those guys from the academy. I think there were four actually who came along on Friday as well for the first time, um, given that there's so many players away. I mean, it's been a little bit like a revolving door, if you like, because as you said, you've got Janssen away, you've Kiza away, you've got the the Olympic quartet away with Canada, Mihailovic is away also with um uh, in Mexico with the USA team, 
Um, we had uh, Joaquin Torres for the first time on Friday. He's just come out of quarantine. Yeah. Uh, Kiki Struna comes out of quarantine on Monday, so we'll see him for the first time. So, um, like I say, it's a, it's like a revolving door. It must be very difficult for the coaches to plan, given given what's going on and, and the, the kind of movement of players at the moment. So, um, it's, as you say, very, very difficult to kind of gauge much, to be honest. But there is a good vibe. There's certainly a good vibe. I watched them. Um, I watched them in a session, uh, I think it was Thursday, with Wilf, uh, um, where they kind of worked on playing out from the back and how to avoid the high press, which was very interesting. And they, they played that with a back four with Clement Diop behind them. Um, I don't know if that gives us any clues of whether they're going to play with a back four, a back three, or a back five. Probably not. I'm sure. I'm sure Wilt's going to be flexible in that respect. But uh, it's been interesting to watch. It's just been good to be out watching professional footballers go through their paces again, even though it's not a real match situation. Hey, thanks for doing this, Paul. We appreciate your insight, and hopefully, we can do this again real soon. Yep, absolute pleasure, Joey. Anytime. That's Paul Vance from MountRoyalSoccer.com, kind enough to join us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. And uh, just going back to Jason DiTullio, for you know the loyal listeners and uh, the Montreal Impact, CF Montreal fans out there, uh, Jason and I got to know each other a little bit. Uh, we worked together uh, on Impact this week for almost a full season. I think it was just under a full season. Um, and I didn't know Jason very much before then, and I can tell you that he is one of the smartest soccer people that I've ever been around. Like he's really sharp in the way he analyzes the game, the way he thinks the game. I mean, he's obviously a soccer lifer, played his entire life, went into coaching after injuries, ended his career uh, professionally with the Montreal Impact, played for Canada on the international scene. Uh, so I do think that the staff is is much better off with Jason on it than not. And of course, like Paul mentioned, there's a familiarity there, right, with Wilfred Nancy and, and Jason DiTullio. They were assistants under Mauro Biello. So there's a trust uh, that they can go into battle together. And, and whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, uh, that coaching staff led this team and this organization deeper than it's ever gone before uh, in MLS play. Uh, they were you know, a half, an extra time away from playing for an MLS Cup just a few years ago. So... Uh, yeah, the squad's a lot, <laughs> looks way more different than it did back then. And there's a lot of new players that have come on this year and even in the last couple of years. Uh, but I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, but Jason DiTullio is still, he will remain with Canada's U23 squad. squad. We mentioned it. Uh, they beat El Salvador last night by a score of 2 to nothing. Their next game is Monday at 6 o'clock uh, against the uh, Haitian U23 team. And uh, Haiti had... There was some sketchiness there with the uh, with their quarantine period, or their uh, they didn't follow the testing protocols and whatnot. So they actually had to play uh, with ten men, and they lost yesterday to Honduras. So uh, Canada gets an opportunity to move to two and zero against the Haiti U twenty three squad. That's on Monday, and that's where Jason DiTullio is, and he is the new assistant coach for CF Montreal, the club announcing that today. I failed to stump Jimmy G earlier on in the show. Uh, Jimmy G tagged out. Matthew O'Hayan is in. Matthew, what's going on? Don't call me Matthew, please. Never do Matty that. Matty O'Hayan? Yeah, please. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Is, is Matthew too formal? That's way too formal. That's something my mother calls me when I'm when she's angry at me. That's it. So basically she calls you that all the time? Yes. 
All right. So uh, we did not stump the G earlier, but March Madness is in full swing. Mm. The first couple of My bracket's already are, busted, by the way. Yeah, I know. I saw you're in the office pool and you picked North Carolina, which I appreciate because uh, I'm a diehard Tar Heels fan, but you are picked you really? them to go all the way. Yeah, and they lost to Wisconsin in the opening round, so shame on you. Uh, so I love sitting down in the afternoons and I love watching Colgate play Arkansas like I did yesterday or Oral Roberts upsetting Ohio State. That's fun. But when I listen to when I watch these games and I listen to some of the names of the schools, I have no idea where these schools are. So this is not stump the G, but I'm going to try to stump you, Matthew O'Hay, and I'm going to ask you where some of these randomly seeming schools are. And uh, I'm going to name you names. You're going to tell me where they are. That's coming up next on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. No cheating, O'Han. Welcome back. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock with Matthew O'Han. We will be talking Montreal Canadiens in just a few minutes with Erin Ambrose. She's a member of Canada's national women's hockey team and the PWHPA. Uh, so we'll get into uh, Shea Weber and we'll get into uh, overtime and we'll preview tonight's game with Erin in just a second. Before we get into that, uh, I do want to welcome in Matthew O'Han again. Yes, I'm calling you Matthew. And, Please don't uh, do that. So we, look, I tried to stump Jimmy G. I'm getting grief on Twitter again because the questions weren't difficult enough. Mm. And I'm not going to ask them to you because uh, most of them were before your time, and I, I don't want to, you know. Hey, listen, just, history, were, history didn't start at my birth. All right, where did Reggie Jackson go to school? Oklahoma. Yeah, I don't know. Well, exactly. well, that's my <laughs> point. That's why those ones were tailored for Jimmy G, and uh, people still think I'm taking it easy on Jimmy G. Maybe we'll have to... Uh, Wait, are you talking about the basketball player, Reggie Jackson? No. Oh. I'm talking about Mr. October. No, not the basketball player. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Well, no, because well, I actually watched him play at I know, Boston I College know. once. I know, I know. No, no, I was talking about Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, gotcha. went to Arizona State University. But I didn't stump Jimmy G. He got two of the three right. Uh, so now is your opportunity to prove yourself. Very simple game. Uh, I will mention the name of a school, and you will tell me where that school is located, city, state. If you get it right, I'll give you credit for it. Uh, and it's just it's funny because, like I was mentioning before, the first two days of March Madness are my favorite. Like, I think it's better than the final, and I know you're a big fan too. Mm. But I was sitting down, well, yesterday during the show when I was working with Melnick, and I'm like, I think I know where Oral Roberts is, but I'm not 100% no, sure. No, you don't. And uh, I looked it up, and I was wrong. I, I mean, geographically, I was close, uh, but I ended up being wrong. So I'm going to give you a name of a school, and you're going to tell me where that school is located, and we can start with Oral Roberts University since they did beat Ohio State a 15 beat a 2 yesterday. Okay, so I hate Ohio State, so I did a lot of research on that game, so I know that one, actually. They're, okay, in, so they're, they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Very good. Oral Roberts University is located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was a big overtime win yesterday. I, oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun. I had one one eye on that game, and uh, those are all the. That's like one of the reasons that you love college basketball is just for that emotion. And a fifteen beats a two. It was uh, a couple of years ago, right? There was no tournament last year, but when uh, the university was in Maryland, Baltimore. I'm pretty uh, sure beat well, Virginia. There, and there was also one that I remember vividly. It was uh, Mercer beat Duke. Yeah, I Mercer, remember that because I was that. I was I in class Duke. watching that game, and I like yelled when uh, Mercer hit the dagger, and uh, then I got a detention. So you did. Yeah, here we wow. are. Though. Here we are, though. So she, yeah. gave, the teacher, gave me a detention, and I'm working over here. So who's the real winner? 
It is not you. Uh, all right, moving on. So you're one for one. All right, I'll give you credit for that. How about Winthrop University? Uh, this, this is – I'm going to go with Iowa. Iowa is incorrect, and uh, just for was those of close? you scoring was at I home. close? Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you in a second. But if you want to play along, you can. Uh, you can help Matthew O'Hayan out. Text in at 11-6-9, even though O'Hayan supposed to have the text messages down. Winthrop University, my friend, is in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Yeah, there was no chance. That That's like when it comes to guessing, South Carolina is at like the bottom of the list. Why? It's just because I, I know the big schools there. Right. So I know I know Clemson and I know the South Car- University of South Carolina. But like when I think of it's, it's tough because you never hear of these universities before. Right. right? Well, Winthrop was uh, one and done anyway. They dropped uh, 73-63 decision to number five Villanova. Winthrop, the Eagles were a 12 seed. Uh, so their tournament is over. Uh, all right. How about <laughs> this is one of my fav- my all time favorites. Colgate University. Mm. So I heard you guys talking about Colgate yesterday on uh, Melnick in the afternoon. So again, I did research yesterday because I was like, where the hell? Is this a school of dentistry? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, they, that, that one is in New York. That one's in New York. Yeah, but where in New York? Oh, come on. Wow, you said you researched it. It's what? in Madison Madison County, New York, Colgate okay, University. Yeah. Colgate, a 14C. The Colgate Raiders were knocked off uh, yesterday again by uh, number three, Arkansas, 85-68. Colgate was... Uh, they were up big in that first half, but Arkansas eventually went on a 17-0 run, and uh, yeah, yeah, the rest I, I, was history. And I, it's funny because a, a friend texted me. He goes, "Did you?" Uh, he's like, "You did a bracket, obviously." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "He goes, uh, Colgate is uh, is up big on Arkansas." I go, "Oh yeah, I think I might have taken Colgate." And he goes, "I could tell you one thing, you didn't it's take them. Happening. I'll tell you that for free." And he, <laughs> and he was right. I did not take them. All right, uh, where are the Drexel Dragons located. Drexel losing 78-49. They were a 16 seed. They lost to Illinois. The Fighting Illini beat them 78-49. to See, the, even the tougher part is just like there's no hint in the name. It's just you well, got to know. That's why I chose them. Yeah, I mean, I have a 1 in 50 chance of getting this right. So yeah. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say Montana. Nope. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Get out of here. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Drexel University. Uh, all right, I know this is a game that uh, you and I, the play-in game that you and I definitely both watched. We were texting uh, during that game. Uh, Drake University, the Bulldogs. Where is Drake University Toronto. located? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, no. This, uh, that's a low-hanging fruit. I'm going to take yeah. it every time. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Um Drake University. Um, they're, they're playing USC, the Trojans, today at 4.30. Uh, fun fact, we are doing a, a bracket for the office pool. I know you're in it as well. And uh, my wife made the picks for me, and she has USC going to the final four. I had USC uh, getting knocked out, I think, in the in the round of 32. Um, hmm, they Drake hit a buzzer beater. Drake University. I'm yeah. going to say... Let's go with. Mm, I'm trying to think of a Midwest state. Let's go with Nebraska, just because. Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, I, that was my first guess on uh, the first school, on the, the second school you hit me with. Yeah, but not the guess here. Uh, and finally, last one: the Creighton University Blue Jays. Where are they located? Oh my God, this is the this one. I'm going to kick myself because I watch Creighton every year I, in the tournament because they make uh-huh. it every year. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm going to go with uh, Kansas. 
Omaha, Nebraska. You're one off. <laughs> Just the story of my life. Hey, you said it, not me. Uh, it is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Now you know. You see, when we do this game again next year, you're definitely going to forget. But for right I'm, now, no, I'm not. I'm going to. You st- know, this is burned in my memory. All right. Uh, it's time to talk about a little more hockey. The Habs went down in overtime for the sixth time in 2021 last night. How can they figure this out before it costs them any more valuable points in the standings? Aaron Ambrose of Canada's national women's hockey team will tell us on Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. It's going to be picked up by Hughes. Canadians change. A couple fresh legs, though. Miller trying to get around Tatar. He'll drive towards the net. Makes a move, curl and drag, and scores. JT Miller. Canadians lose again in overtime. 3-2 to Vancouver. Uh, Sean Campbell with the call. Canadians drop to 0-6 in overtime. Uh, 0-9 if you count the shootouts. And uh, it's not uh, it's not pretty out there. It's a big problem. And they're dropping points in the standings. And we talked about that uh, right off the top. And something's got to change. You've got just under half a season left. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the choices in personnel, starting with uh, Deneau and Byron in overtime, I don't get it. I think it sends out the wrong message to your team. I think... You've changed the coach. You've changed some of the uh, the trios that you're rolling with in overtime. I think it's time to change the mentality to talk about that and uh, some NHL news and notes. We're joined by a good friend of the program, Erin Ambrose. She's a member of Canada's national women's hockey team and the PWHPA. Erin, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Joey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm uh, rooting. I'm at the point where I'm rooting for overtime every night with the Canadians, Aaron, just because I think it's a better story for us in the media to talk about because it's just it's comically bad. And I mean, you would think that eventually it's got to turn positive for them, right? I think you you would think. But so, OK, so let me ask you this. OK, I'm they've they've changed. My, my whole point is they've changed the coach. And so new coach has new ideas and they finally gone with three forwards when when jt miller scored last night uh they they had three forwards on the ice he went after tatar and suzuki got around both of them and scored a great goal okay but yeah, if you and... start if sorry if you start nope. with two defensive forwards in dano and paul byron do you think that's sending the wrong message to your team that hey we're going to try to win possession but if we don't at least we're going to defend well, I think, I mean, they always talk about the opening face-off, right? You want to get that possession, and I think it depends on what Ducharme wants with the the matchup, right? Um, I think it's a little bit e- easier with Vancouver not having somebody like Pedersen in the lineup. So maybe he's thinking they have the last change, they get the face-off with uh, Deneau and Byron out there, and then, I don't know, maybe try to silence the Bo Horvats and Quinn Hughes get Quinn Hughes off the ice and then take advantage of that. But uh, clearly things aren't working for them in overtime. Um, I also think that you got to just run with Jeff Petrie and Tyler Toffoli. Like those guys are obviously the only two that have really been producing on a consistent basis for your team. And if one of your consistent producers is a defenseman, like I'd be riding him a lot in overtime, not just three forwards. So you, you've played defense at the highest level. I'm sure at some point you played three-on-three three as well, right? I'm, I'm sure that's happened more often than not. Like, what's what's the mentality? out? Like, when you're, when you're thrown over the boards and, you know, it's you, two teammates against three other people, 
and I think defensively, it's it's pretty like it's pretty standard the way that you guys would roll, right? I mean, everybody kind of defends the same way three on three for the most part. But yeah, don't don't you want to have that attacking mentality? Like, don't you want to be the aggressor in that situation? Yeah, I think that that's kind of the the hard part with three on three, and it's changed so much. I think since it first got into the game and since the NHL implemented it, but. Um, you look at right before that goal, and Josh Anderson had an opportunity to finish the game too. So yeah. in three-on-three, three, you need your goalies to make big saves. Um, it always seems that when a highlight real goal is scored, that that's one that you just you really want your goalie to kind of save your butt on that one. And I'm sure Suzuki was hoping that Allen could, but after Demko made the save on Anderson and it turns back the other way, um, sometimes that is just a part of three-on-three, three, and unfortunately, it did not go in Montreal's favor again. Yeah, so um, see, the way I look at it with Suzuki, and, and credit to Suzuki, because you know he had a nine-game goalless drought going into last night. He ends up getting the big goal at six-on-four to tie the game, and then he came out when he met the media. He took blame for the goal, for the JT Miller overtime goal, and it, I don't think it's just on him, but credit to him for, for standing up and doing that. But... Aaron, I'm kind of I'm willing to put up with that if I'm rolling with three forwards. Like I realize that if I have a forward skating backwards with JT Miller coming at him, he's probably going to embarrass him more often than not because he's not used to being in that position. But I'm okay with that. If you lose with your best guys on the ice, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, absolutely, Joey. And uh, JT Miller had an interview after the game where he said he he looked up and saw Tatar skating backwards. So. That is a forward stream, right? They they mm-hmm. understand how to exploit um, somebody who doesn't quite play that position quite as well, and that's Tatar. And um, for Nick Suzuki, for a young guy to come out into the media and say and own that right away, I think shows the maturity level of this kid already. He's been unbelievable this year, and I don't think we've preached enough of his 200 foot game. Obviously, that wasn't relevant in in the OT winner last night, but I do think that that's something that it's going to almost motivate him even more because he, he knows that he made a mistake on that one and he understands how to fix that uh, pretty quickly. So he, we mentioned he had the big goal at the end of regulation. I, I'm sure you've been through through highs and lows as a, as a professional athlete, but is there an instance you remember where you just, you know, you, you needed a goal and you busted out of a slump and just the feeling that came with it? I wouldn't quite say there's too many uh, busting out of slumps for me with goal scoring. Um, <laughs> right. I'm more of a setter-upper for sure. Yeah. But um, I back to that goal, uh, that was an unbelievable shot by Suzuki. And I think that mm-hmm. that just shows you, like, as much as it is tough to lose that game, and obviously the big talk is how Montreal just can't get it done in overtime, I think that's huge to get that point. Um, they're staying with kind of the top tier. They're They're getting points when they need to, and... I mean, you look at that, and instead of not getting any points out of that, you do you do scrap scrap for one point, and that's important in a in a season like this. She's Erin Ambrose, kind enough to join us on Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. She's a member of Canada's national women's hockey team and the PWHPA. Uh, so I do want to talk to you about Shea Weber as well. It's been a while now. I think we kind of anticipated in the in a condensed schedule uh, a guy who's in his mid thirties who's logged all kinds of minutes in his career. He's gone through some injury trouble. He's uh, he's had a rough go uh, as of late in the last couple of weeks, and losing his defense partner in Ben Chirot to a long-term injury certainly not going to help. But when you watch Shea Weber right now, what kind of jumps out at you? Uh, well, I did see your uh, 
your tweet or your Twitter poll this morning. So yep. I did write, uh, I did have to chime in on that. And I, I am with the crowd on this one um, and saying Romanov should get with him. I think Romanov is continuing to grow. Um, and I think that Shea Weber is a perfect guy for him to, to learn from. Um, obviously, the big thing with Weber is his foot speed, and that always has kind of been uh, his downfall. And he's always made up for it in other ways. And I think he can, can continue to do that. Um, it's just going to be about moving the puck quickly and making decisions quickly. Um, I can relate to Weber in the sense that I'm not one that's very fleet of foot by any means, but if you can make up for that with your puck movement and the speed in which you think the game, then it doesn't really matter too much about your foot speed. Uh, you just mm-hmm. have to make sure that you're not getting yourself into foot races all the time. Instead, just outthink the other opponent. And sometimes that's hard to do when you're playing in the NHL, I would guess. How much? It's funny. We had uh, Aaron Ward, uh, three-time Stanley Cup yep. champ. He played defense in the NHL for a long time, right? And and he came on one of our shows this week, and he was talking about, you know, you're not going to be able to limit Weber's minutes in game now, but if you can limit what he does in practice, and maybe don't even have him practice, maybe he can kind of regain some of that sharpness, and he can just, you know, that's the way that you kind of scale back his workload. Are you? Would you be on board with that? Like, do you think that could make a big difference if he doesn't necessarily have to go in practice as often or even at all down the stretch? Uh, I I would agree, but I also think that practices and practice time is so limited in a year like this, just with the condensed schedule. So, as much as I I do agree with Aaron Ward, like I I do think it's a little bit tough to do, and um, I know one of the hardest things for us as athletes is to be told like, hey, you're not going in, or you're not going to skate today, you're not going to get your touches, and um, I know if you talk to any pro hockey player out there, any hockey player at the junior level or whatever it is, like we all love getting our puck touches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you went up to Shea and said that his puck touches were going to be limited in, in practices, I, I would guess that he probably wouldn't love that. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, he probably is just find, wanting to find some sort of way to, to feel fresher out there and um, get a little bit of that jump back. Yeah, but you guys as pro athletes, like sometimes – I feel like us non-pro athletes, we have to save you guys from yourselves because you guys always want to be in there, right? Like you always want to, you want to get your touches, like you said, you want to play as many minutes as you can, but isn't it up to the staff, uh, like to maybe like try to convince you that this will lead you to perform at a higher level down the stretch? Absolutely. And I think that that's where a lot of the sports science side of stuff comes in. And uh, I will be the first to say that that stuff is way over my head. Um, and sometimes yeah, it's very you would be frustrating. Both. Yeah, and but I understand. Like, you, obviously, these people that are doing the sports science side of stuff, like they're professionals at it in their uh, profession. So I think it's important for us to make sure that we do trust the process, and that's one of the one of the biggest pet peeves for uh, an athlete to hear is just trust the process because, like you said, we want to go, go, go. But um, I think it, it's just a hard balance to find and. Um, when we do find it, we love it because it gets us into a rhythm. But when we're searching for it, it is a very frustrating thing. She's Aaron Ambrose, member of Canada's National Women's Hockey Team and the PWHPA, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Aaron, you knew I was going to go here. It's a seven-game winless streak for your Toronto Maple Leafs. Ah. Uh, Freddie, Freddie Anderson gave up four goals on 18 shots last night against Calgary. They lose again. What's going on in Leafland? Ah, I'm mad that you went there, but I guess it's okay because we're not talking about the Habs anymore. Um, I'm excited for Jack Campbell. I think that Campbell's got a huge opportunity right now. And um, 
I'm going to look at the positives here and, and talk about the opportunity that Campbell has and, and not the disappointments of Freddie right now because I know that Freddie's hearing it from every which or every direction. So we're going to talk about the positives and, and say that Jack Campbell is going to have a great game today. If I told you before the season that you would come on this radio show and say to me that you're excited for the se- for the opportunity that Jack Campbell has, you would probably have thought that things were not going well, though. Oh, 100%. Um, you never <laughs> like when your goalie, your number one goalie, um, isn't performing. And you don't like when your number one goalie says he's not as healthy as he wants to be. Um, that mm-hmm. one kind of uh, that one kind of tricked me a little bit and made me a little bit confused. But I do think that they got to switch something up. Um, six of seven or whatever it is it is not acceptable. And to think of where they were and that everybody was saying the Leafs are untouchable. I was one who was not planning the parade yet, but a lot of us in Leafland definitely were, and um, they got to find a way to turn it around for sure. So your level of concern, Aaron, from one not concerned at all, ten really, really concerned for the Leafs? Um, we're just going to go with an even five here. Um, <laughs> I think that there's, yeah, we're staying I like in the it. field. Yep, it's Saturday night. It's going to be a great game. I think uh, back-to-back is huge, and that's an opportunity for them to, um, figure it out and figure it out quickly. It's not like they're sitting on, sitting on this. Obviously, they sat on uh, the last loss before yesterday's, but um, I do think that they also went up against a team that had just gotten um, absolutely crushed. So it's going to be... It's not like they played poorly last night either. I thought they played very well, and um, I didn't like the goals that did go in, but um, you look at Markstrom, and he made a save that made the difference, and that's what you need for your goalies is to make saves that keep you in games, and Markstrom did that, and Unfortunately, Freddie didn't. So that's where the opportunity comes in for Jack Campbell. Well, I'm all here for uh, Toronto Maple Leafs collapse, and hopefully, when uh, this losing when this losing streak or winless streak hits 14 games, we can talk to you about it again. That's when I'm going to get on again. (laughs) No, 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 no. I want to get you on before that, even if things go well for the Leafs. I appreciate you doing this, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joey. Enjoy your Saturday afternoon. Yeah, same to you. That's Erin Ambrose. She's a member of Canada's national women's hockey team and the PWHPA. Uh, kind enough to uh, break down the game for us for the Montreal Canadiens and even the Toronto Maple Leafs. I figured Canadian fans needed a little bit of a pick-me-up, so uh, why not ask Erin about her Toronto her uh, Toronto Maple Leafs? So, yeah, things not going so well in Toronto. Things going reasonably well in Montreal, uh, just not in uh, in overtime. Uh, even the power plays better for the Canadians. Canes got two power play goals last night. And here's the thing that nobody is talking about. How about that call, that puck over glass call last night? Your favorite. Uh, that led to the six, six on four. Yeah, you know how much I hate that. But was that not a hand pass? And as soon as the player touches the puck for Vancouver, is that not just dead? Like, how is that allowed to be puck over glass? As soon as he touches it, the play's done. Hmm. Yeah, you know what, though? The Habs have dealt with their fair share of uh, questionable refereeing. I'm not going to pin all their losses uh, on the season on refereeing, but they've had their fair share of uh, of non-calls. So normally I'm one of those that's that gets angry at, at those things like you because I just want consistency, but... I, I was okay with it last night. I, I don't think the Canadians get... They didn't deserve a break, though, last night. I'll tell you that. Uh, no, I thought they played well in the third period, and they yeah, started what well. Yeah, what about the first 40? 
I thought they started well, and then Vancouver started taking over and somewhere around the middle point of the first period, and then the second period, they, uh, Vancouver definitely took it to Montreal. But I don't think the Canadians have been, uh, quote-unquote, robbed by calls more than the opposition has, to be honest with you. like it's You just... look at the penalty on Antoine Roussel in the first period that led to the first power play goal. He didn't even touch Nick Suzuki. I'll say, no, I'm, I'm talking about the more egregious ones. where That was egregious. That was no, a bad I'm ta- one. I'm talking about earlier in the season when Kakanyemi takes a, takes a cross-check to the face. Um, and uh, what was Tyler Myers on uh, Yoel Armia that gave him a concussion? Like, those are the ones I'm talking about that they got away scot free, and you know, so I'm okay with it. You know, a little bit of karma going the other way. Settled down. Uh, it is uh, Saturday sports on TSN 690. And yeah, so somebody's pointing out uh, in Vancouver that it wasn't the defensive zone. Yeah, so it is, uh, it is the hand passes are allowed in the defensive zone. Uh, so that's why there was no call there. Wow, so that do is your legit. research. That was, yeah, that's legit. Yeah, no, because the incident happened in the neutral zone. But the- You're listening to Montreal's Home of the Habs, TSN 690. Welcome back. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. We had a bit of a connection issue there. I apologize for that. I was uh, rambling on, reading text messages from uh, Canadian, angry Canadians fans and... Uh, yeah, Matthew O'Hain, who's working the board, was calling me, and I'm like, "Why is this guy calling me?" I, I just, I, I didn't hear anything, so uh, I thought I was still live on the air. So sorry about the uh, connection issues, folks. It looks like we've had them all straightened out, right, Maddie? You hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Fine. Okay, Loud perfect. And clear. All right, uh, all right. Looking back at our poll question at Joey Alfieri, uh, Saturday Sports, who should Shea Weber be paired with next? Fifty-six percent of the votes uh, have gone to Alexander Romanov. Almost four hundred people have weighed in. You can. can continue to weigh in throughout the day uh, i'm going with brett kulak uh, that's my choice i would put edmondson and petrie together and then i don't know you got to figure out the third pairing romanov and whomever i, I don't know that xavier will let us cut out to be a, a a night in night out nhl defenseman i just said that that doesn't work for me that pairing doesn't work so uh, find somebody who can play the right side with side with romanov and uh, i'm happy if kulak gets an opportunity with weber edmondson goes back with petrie we know that that works uh and you know barring a trade uh these are the horses that you have to go with and uh, you've got to make it work uh, i would like to see victor mete get an opportunity i don't think that's going to happen uh, just because there were indications that he was on the ice this morning for the optional skate. Uh, so Lekkonen, uh, same deal. He was on the ice this morning. Dom Ducharme's only going to speak at five. So it's possible that one of those guys plays, uh, but it would appear to be unlikely if they participated in the morning in the uh, optional morning skate. Uh, so Romanov leading our poll. 56% of you want to see him play with Shea Weber. Coming in in second place is Victor Mete at 20%, and uh, Jeff Petrie is at 12%, and Other is at 12% too. I, I don't know that you can, this is the defense to that you where you can put your two best defensemen together. So I have a uh, counter we, to that. Sure. Yeah, because I voted for Jeff Petrie. So okay. I, I don't see it as a long-term solution. I, I don't see this as a long-term pairing, but just give the guy a spark, man. Like, p- the people who voted for Romanov, or Romanov, rather, I, I, I understand it. That's because uh, you want Romanov to, to develop and learn that defensive side of the game while right. uh, while complimenting um, Shea Weber. But right now, Weber needs a spark. He needs a spark. And what happened when you put uh, Jeff Petrie is giving uh, Joel Edmondson a career year, and mm-hmm. he sparked uh, he sparked Brett Kulak for three the three games he's been with him. 
So yeah. just give the give the guy the spark he needs to get back into the zone. That's my reasoning. For yeah, it. I no, but I'm I'm not saying it can't work. But my concern is, what do you do with like the other four defensemen? Like I, I don't know, you know, Edmondson, Kulak, is that going to work? Uh, and then you still have the issue of Romanov and uh, and whoever is going to play that that right side on the third pairing. I I I'm just trying to I'm trying to kind of spread the wealth. And, and that's why I'm thinking, you know, Kulak's playing really well next to Petrie. You see Kulak jump into the rush. He's aggressive in the offensive zone. He's pinching. He is creating stuff. So if, you know, he can do that playing next to Weber, who's more of that stay-at-home guy. He's got the big shot. He does put up numbers. But, you know, he's more of that defensive stalwart when he's going and he, he's playing at, you know, his best. Uh, that's why I'd kinda, I think the, the styles kind of complement each other. So you wouldn't normally think that a Petrie-Kulak pairing, you know, they don't traditionally they don't complement each other, but it works. It worked in the bubble, and it's worked through a couple of games here so far. Uh, but that's why I, I would just try Kulak. Uh, look, he's, he's a bottom pairing defenseman in the NHL uh, over the course of an 82-game season. Uh, but I think short term, until Sherratt comes back, I, I would experiment. That's uh, that's what I would do. So you're going, you want to you want to put Petrie and Romano and uh, and Weber together, and I'm saying put Kulak and Weber together. Mm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's always more fun when we disagree. That way, I know that I'm right. Nah, it is yeah, Saturday debatable. Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri. Thanks to Jimmy G and Matthew O'Han uh, for pushing all the right buttons. Thank you, Matty O. Have a great rest of your weekend. Erin uh, Ambrose, she joined us on the program as well. Broke down uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Russ Landy, former NFL scout. Thank you to him as well. Uh, he joined us to talk about free agency in the first hour. And, of course, Paul Vance of Mount Royal Soccer. Uh, joined us to talk CF Montreal and the Canadian men's Olympic qualifiers. Canada won two to nothing over El Salvador yesterday. Uh, they will be playing Mondays their next game against the Haitian national team. Mauro Biello and Jason DiTulio are the uh, are part of that coaching staff out there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. If you missed anything on the program or you want to go back and listen to the whole show, the whole show again, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. Uh, and uh, you'll be able to download the whole show commercial-free, hour by hour. Uh, thank you very much to everybody who chimed in, participated on Twitter, on the text message board. Have a great rest of your weekend. Don't forget, the Montreal Canadiens pregame show gets going at 5 o'clock with Sean Campbell and Mitch Gallo, and we've got Canucks and Canadians puck drop just after 7.